You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome. If we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to thank you for getting up. Thanks for joining us this Sunday as we are continuing in our series on the life of the prophet Elisha. So if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, do me a favor. Before you leave, we got a stack of them right over here. Grab one. Absolutely free. Our gift to you. We want to invest that in your life. So if you do not own a Bible, take one. It's, it's, it's our gift to you. So all that said, 2 Kings chapter 2, um, as you're turning there, I want to set this up a little bit, okay? Everybody in life has expectations about things, don't we? Everybody, like, like you know, whether like we're, we're going on vacation, we expect it to be a certain way, or maybe we're going to a restaurant, right? And sometimes, sometimes those expectations aren't met. Sometimes, like, you're really looking forward to a restaurant. Like, maybe you're looking forward to going to Popeye's and didn't have the sandwich. Been there. <laughs> maybe you're looking forward to going, like, to Bethany Blues. And you want me, I want me some barbecue. Get some brisket. It's going to be good. Okay? Now, imagine a scenario. Imagine you went to Bethany Blues and they said, sorry, we don't serve barbecue anymore. <laughs> <laughs> even, the, even, like, the, uh, the, the hypothetical that, like, freaks some of you out just now. Like, <laughs> like all right, all right, all right. You'd be a little disappointed, right? Okay. And here's why I'm bringing that up, okay? Because um, when we come to church, we have expectations too. Maybe the reason that you're here, you've got an expectation. Like you roll in, you're like, man, I cannot wait to get some of that coffee out in the lobby. Like it's rise up, it's delicious, <laughs> right? And also that'll keep me uh, awake while the guy's mumbling on stage. That'll be awesome. Or maybe, maybe for you, your expectation, like the reason that you're here, like the, the thing you're hoping happens is, man, I just want to get into the worship. I want to dig in. I want the band to crank. I'm just going to sing, lift my hands up and praise them. And so, that, so that's your expectation. This morning, I'm going to be engaged in worship or maybe your expectation is on the preaching. And I have a hard time living up to that pressure. But look, like you expect the sermon to flow a certain way. And the way that we do sermons, right? Like we grab a, a big Bible text and we dig into it. We pick it apart. And we're like, yeah, okay. Like we, we know our Bible a little bit more as a result of being together. And if that's your expectation, I just need you to know, mm, here's the thing. The passage we're going to read today is four verses long. Four. So you're like, I want a big Bible passage. Your expectations are going to be a little bit lower, which is why we're going to read it twice. That's what we're going to do. We're going to read four verses. We'll read it twice, okay? And when we read it twice, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of get an overview, and then we're going to pick it apart. So that's the idea. Okay, we're going to read this passage and then just sort of set it up. Here's where we are in the story of Elisha. His, his mentor, Elijah, has just left. Elisha has received a double portion of Elijah's anointing, his spirit. And so now we're beginning to see him step into the miracles. We're seeing him step into the destiny that God has for him. And now the story just gets so fun. And so our story today, it picks up almost immediately after the last one left off. He's, he's, he's crossed the Jordan and he goes into the town of Jericho. And while that happens, here's what our story says in 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 19. It goes this way. It says, the people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is un." productive. So here's what Elisha says. He says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this 
water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And it says, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. And that's true. Like there is a fountain in Israel called the fountain of Elisha. It exists to this day. Like if you visited Israel, you, you could go there. Like in, in Jericho, there is this water that is, that is not uh, bad. It, it's good. And so just to sort of recap the scenario, here's, here's what's happened. Okay, you've got this town and where Jericho is, it's kind of out in the middle of the desert. But Jericho is basically this spring. Like they've got palms and stuff. It's a nice area. It's a respite. It's an oasis in the middle of the wilderness, but the water in the town has gone bad. So you got this, this town that looks really, really good, but the land, because of the water, is not you know, fruitful. It's not bringing about what it should bring about for life to flourish and prosper. And so Elisha goes and, and you know, the miracle happens. Okay, so neat. What does it have to do with me? Well, here going forward, as we begin to pick this passage apart, I want us to change our lens a little bit and think of it less about geography. Okay, instead of going, all right, neat, so like some, some water got good, hooray. The land began to be fruitful again, hooray. Here's instead how I would like us to begin to read this text, understanding a spiritual significance to it. And if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. Here's what I want you to understand about this passage, okay? That you are the land. Let me say it. You are the land. That everything that's going to happen in this passage is ultimately symbolic of you and your life, what God is doing in you and in me. And there's a precedent for this biblically. Like over and over again, there are times when the Bible, when, when God speaks about his people, he likens them to land and soil and stuff like that. Like there's a famous passage, for instance, like a parable of Jesus where he's talking about like a farmer sowing seed, right? And the seed is the word of God. There's all these different areas, all these different lands where the seed goes. And like there's, there's rocky soil. There's, you know, there's, there's places where like the ravens come and take it. And then look, look, here's what Jesus says in Luke 8, 15. He goes, the seed on good soil stands up or stands for those with a, a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and, and by preserving, produce a crop. Meaning, okay, like this, this represents like people's hearts, and as a result of receiving the word, the land is fruitful. And so, listen, you are the land. You. And here's why I'm bringing this up because I believe God wants to do something in your heart with the word today to make the land of your heart fruitful. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the text, back into 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to begin to pick this thing apart and let's just see what the Lord does. You guys ready? Okay, so here's what it says. Back to verse 19, okay? The people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see meaning hey it's some prime real estate this land has it together this land is a place of destination and that's by the way maybe this is where you are okay when it comes to you and the image that you project of you to other people is that you're somebody who's got it all together Okay, like when it comes to you, like, like this, you have worked so hard to create this identity of, of strong man, strong woman, this, like, this maybe like on fire Christian person who has like, like you, don't, you don't struggle with anything. You don't have any scars. Like you are, you know, praise God, I'm healed. I'm perfect on this. Okay, and it's false. It's not real. In fact, like it looks really good to other people, but everything under the surface is decaying. Everything under the surface is, is, is suffering because, okay, while it looks good, it isn't good. And maybe that's where you're like, hey, I've created this version of me. It's not even maliciously. Like, you know, I don't want to air my stuff to other people. So I'll just sort of limp through life looking as though I'm not limping. I'll just sort of go through life looking 
good. But listen, God loves you enough to address the real you. So the area is beautiful. You've got it put together. But, it continues, but the water is bad. The water is bad and the land is unproductive. Okay, here's this thing that should have given you life. But it didn't. Here's this thing, okay, in its nature of what it is, it should produce life. It should produce fruit. It should produce a crop. Like what should have happened as a result of this thing in your past was it should have produced joy. It should have produced security. It should have produced, you know, compassion, like relationship. Like this thing that was in its nature a good thing created by God was somehow tainted. And because this thing that should have been good wasn't, the land of your life has taken a hit. And you are not bearing the fruit. You are not seeing the fruit that you should because, because, because the water has been poisoned. And so let's just ask a question. All right, and don't answer out loud. It'll be awkward, but <laughs> let's just ask a question. Okay, hey, what has poisoned your heart? Let me say it again. What has poisoned your heart. What's that thing that should have been good, that should have produced joy, but now has robbed you of it? Has robbed you of fruit? Has robbed you of life? And for a lot of us, there's all kinds of different ones. And so I'm gonna touch on some big ones today. And my goal is not to make us have a crying snot fest. My goal is to bring healing to you so that the land of your life may produce the fruit for which God intended it. And so maybe for you, what's poisoned the water of your heart was this, rejection and heartbreak. You, let me just just preach some. You put yourself out there. You were young, you fell in love. And you knew we were going to be together forever. And then your marriage ended. And you, I don't, I don't understand. And you felt betrayed, or you felt like like you were unworthy of love, and you, and you thought to yourself like, okay, it's got to be me. Like there's something wrong with me because that's that's the only reason this could have gone this way. Or hey, hey, you've experienced rejection. You had a parent for whom no matter what you did, it just was never enough and all you wanted to do was make them happy and all you wanted to do was be them but it didn't work that way instead they just they took out their own insecurities on you and so you just throw yourself into hoping maybe wouldn't you just please just tell me that i'm good wouldn't you just please tell me that i'm lovable that i'm worth something that i'm special that i have some kind of talent and they never affirmed you in that so consequently you've been robbed of fruit in your life you just keep going through from place to place just hoping that somebody will affirm you just hoping that someone will look at you and give you the validation that you craved. And the validation wasn't bad. The thing that you were craving wasn't evil. But the water was poisoned. And so no fruit's coming out. And you find yourself, like your relationships begin to evaporate because just when you think you finally have it, like you, you, you feel like you've got to throw yourself into another thing. Maybe like, and so you, okay, so you, you've got a, you got a marriage, but, but you don't feel the validation from there, so you throw yourself into your career. 
and your relationship with your spouse evaporates. I mean, I don't know what it is, but the water has been poisoned by rejection and heartbreak. Maybe it affects your entire relational outlook. You know, I was at a, a party a little while back for a friend, and one of her relatives, uh, young girl, was just saying horrible things about men. Like, like she just say things like, well, of course you think that because you're a man and men are stupid. And I looked at that because no one arrives at that conclusion without somebody doing something. And so I began to dig a little bit. Oh, wow, she had a father that abandoned her. And every man that her mother hooks up with, it doesn't last more than a year or two. What was that? That was the heartbreak. And so it, and so it, it just it bled out into her relationships with all those around her. Maybe, maybe for you, the reason that you keep coming back to these things is because you're trying to address an age-old wound without even realizing that it's there. So you try to appease that void. But you've never let God heal the waters. Maybe for you, it's not rejection or heartbreak. Maybe it's these things right here. Maybe it's tragedy or, or trauma. The thing that's poisoned the water. Like you were going through life, everything was fine. And in a moment, something horrible happened and it shattered the way that you experienced life. And you find yourself, you, you wake up with nightmares and, and you find yourself like just keep, you keep coming back to this thing that over and over again has traumatized, has just, has just left its mark, its imprint on your life. And you just need to not be able to escape it. I don't talk about this very much. But I feel the need to right now. Um, I'll give you a story with it. So, My family, uh, we, we moved to Delaware when I was seven. Uh, we moved here from Louisville, Kentucky. And, um, and when we moved here, we moved here because my, my uncle hired my dad for uh, a job. And, and when we moved here, I, I didn't know any kids. I, didn't, I, I had no no friends here. And the only friends that I had were, were my cousins who were my age, particularly uh, my, my cousin Keith, who was uh, a year younger than me. And, uh, and so really for the, that first few years that we were here, like, that was my guy. I mean, like, Keith and I, we were like this. You know, the, we were fortunate enough that we got a house where uh, his family's house was right down the road, so we'd ride our bikes to, to each other. We could do that. You remember back in the days when, like, parents would let their kids go do stuff and just hope they'd come back? You remember that? You know? <laughs> Now you're saying like always over them like I, I see you kidnapper I'm watching right but but like back then like they just my parents were like go and be back by dinner or not just you know forge in the forest I don't know go right and so and so Keith and I we 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 would you know hang out in life and and I remember about five years after we moved here I was in eighth grade and um, it was Christmas time and I think about this every Christmas I remember it, it, it was a it was a December afternoon I remember Keith and I we, we rode the school bus together and I remember him getting off the bus. And, um, and as he, like, we said, like, like, he didn't say a word to me on the bus. But I remember him just sort of beelining right off the bus. And he had this, like, cold look on his face. And I didn't think much of it. So got home, and my dad uh, came in from work, and we went, we went Christmas shopping. We went to, to Hospitality Night on 2nd Street. If you've ever been there, it's awesome. And we got back, and uh, there's just a note from my mom, gone, gone to your uncle and aunt's. And that was, that was it. That's the only thing that it said. So we were like, huh. Okay, fine. So time goes on. Mom still uh, isn't back. And we get a phone call from one of the men in our church. And uh, he said, like, do, do you know what's happened? And, and my dad says, well, 
no, what? And he goes, and the long and short of it was Keith had shot himself. Um, and that, that, that you know, our family, we survived it, but we, we limped through it. And I remember it was the first real death I had ever experienced, particularly of anybody close to me. Um, I remember, like, I, I, some of you have, you have these, like, this like, light switch moment where life was a certain way before that and then everything sort of changed after that. And, and for me, th- that's what it was. I remember just, like, even just thinking about it would cause me to go into hysterics. Like, the, there was no shortage of tears. I, I remember the trauma of all of it. And then I remember even religiously the problems of it because I was always raised to believe that if you committed suicide, you went to hell. And I know why I was taught that people meant well. They were basically saying, like, so don't do that, right? And it's just a scary idea. But now here I was with somebody that I loved. Okay, was that true? I remember going to my parents, like, okay, did that happen? Like, is that where he is? About a year later, um, the Lord showed up, and, and, and he saved me, and he, and he intervened in my life. And maybe the first time I ever heard God speak to me. And there are two statements. The very first one, he said, guess what? So what? He goes, I love you. And the second one wasn't one that I asked for. I didn't probe on it, but it just came out of nowhere. And he just said, and your cousin is with me. Because we serve a God who is a healer. Do you get that? Like we serve a God who is able to take and bind up the wounds of your past and mine. And I would just encourage you, no matter what trauma you have been through, know there is a God who will walk with you through it, who you are not forgotten by, who wants to put the pieces back together and bring healing. And so maybe that's for you. What's poisoned the waters of your heart is trauma or or tragedy. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's right here. Regret. Regret. All you can see in your life are the things that you should have done different. Oh man, if I'd just gone there, if I just said this to so-and-so, okay, if I just tried a little bit harder, if I just worked a little bit more, okay, if I had just gotten my act together, then maybe so-and-so would have still be talking to me. Maybe things would still be together. Maybe my life wouldn't have devolved in the way that it has. And you just go through life looking at your past going, oh man, oh man, oh man. And you can never see the future. It robs you of the fruit of the future because all you see is where you should have been different. The waters have been poisoned. But you don't have to live that way. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That person that you were is not the person that you are. And just in the same way, I don't blame myself for the sins of others. Neither should you blame yourself for the sins of your past. That person is dead. And you are new in Christ. So maybe for you, what's poisoned the waters is this word right here, abuse. People that you trusted. And they took advantage of your trust. And you go through life and it has shattered you and you, and you go, why even bring this up? Because you need to be healed. And so, okay, these things that like you just bottle down and hope nobody ever brings up and nobody ever talks to you, but it comes out. It makes it so you're never comfortable in your own skin. 
or it makes it so you keep blaming yourself for something that somebody else did. Okay, if I had just done this different, okay, I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. I shouldn't have been there. I, okay, or they, they hit me, but really it's because I mouthed off. And I should, mm, no, no. It's nobody's fault but the one who did it. No, 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 no. You find yourself like you're robbed of the fruit of joy in relationships because you think I'm unlovable. There's something wrong with me. That's why they did this to me. So consequently, you, just, you break relationships that you have because you believe that you are not worthy of love. And you're terrified everywhere that you go. Because you try to set up defenses for yourself because you're reacting to that thing that happened in the past. But I need you to hear me Today, God wants to heal you. Your water has been poisoned. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Still yet. Maybe for you, the stuff that's poisoned the waters of your heart are these right here, sin or addiction. I use this word sin not as a check sheet. Not as a list for things that Christians shouldn't do, although Christians certainly shouldn't sin, but I use it in the biblical sense of something that robs you of the life that God has for you. Because that's ultimately what sin does. Sin kills. It strips you of the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. You lose the sensitivity to the Lord. It kills you from the inside out. Or maybe yours is addiction. Okay, so what happens is you are well aware of the stuff that you're hooked on. Pills, booze, porn, shopping. Gambling, whatever it's like, and, and you know that it's bad. You know that you should stop, but you can't. So you find yourself just loathing yourself because the waters are poison. So you go, listen, I shouldn't be this anyway anymore. I shouldn't do this. And so, but you keep doing it. So you hate yourself even more. And because you hate yourself, it creates a cycle. You look for a means of escape and you turn right back to the thing that's robbing you of life. And over and over and over it goes. Because the waters have been poisoned, but you don't have to live there anymore. And still, there's another one. Hold on, wait. For the one who internally just heard that, yeah, but how can you say that? Um, because the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus is so complete. It's as though your sin and, and your addiction and your past never happened to begin with. Jesus wants to set you free from the shackles of your own behaviors. How can I say that? Because God is greater than your ability to get it wrong. That's how I can say that. And he wants to heal and save you. And speaking of God, see, that leads to our last one, the thing that poisons the heart, this word right here, religion. That seems like a weird word to bring up in church, doesn't it? But you, you were raised in a religious system that taught you that God's approval of you was based on your performance. You were poisoned in your very idea of God, a God for whom you could never do enough, who loved you but kind of didn't like you. He was always sort of waiting for you to get it together, and then if you didn't, maybe he'd consider taking you. Don't you know that's not the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible is the one who looked at us while we were at our worst, our furthest from him, in our, and just steeped in our sin and rebellion against him and said, I love them so much, I'm so crazy about them, I'm going to send my son Jesus to take away the penalty for their sin so that we can be restored together. 
and then raised Jesus to life so that we can have new life in him. That's the God of the Bible. Not, not this sort of fictional God that's just waiting to pull the trigger on lightning bolts on you. You know what I mean? But you've been poisoned by this. You fundamentally believe that God is at all times rejecting or waiting to reject you. No, he's not. No, he's not. But, and, and all the life and joy and peace that you could experience in the Holy Spirit have been robbed of you. The land has no fruit because the water has been poisoned. So here we are. Here stands Elisha and he's looking at this. And in verse 20 he says this, bring me a new bowl. Hey, God's going to do something new. He's not going to, okay, a new bowl. I mean, not one that's already been affected and infected by all those things. Not something that's been infected by the water. Before. No, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to create a new heart in you. I'm going to do a new thing in your life. You, you, I'm, not, I'm not waiting for you just to sort of adapt who you were. I'm going to do something new. Bring me a new bowl. And he said, put salt in it. Weird. Put salt in it. And it's here we have to understand something about the symbolism of salt, biblically speaking, Okay. Salt is more than an agent of flavor when it comes to the Bible. Salt in that world, what it did was it stopped decay. So if you had meat, for instance, what they would do is they would cake it in salt so that the meat would decay slower. That's why, hey, when Jesus says, listen, you are the salt of the earth, what he's not saying is you're going to make the world taste good. No, what he's saying is you're going to stop things from falling apart. You're going to stop things from decaying and eroding. Okay? Same way as why like, salt has this, this meaning of permanence that when something is made of salt, it will remain. It's why like, you find in Chronicles when God's speaking to David and saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you king and from you is going to come a king who will rule forever. He says, I'm giving you a covenant of salt. It will remain. In the same way, listen, what he's saying is God is going to do something that will remain forever. And we know that it does, right? Because we've read the end of the story. Let me just check that for a moment, though. For the one who believes that God's healing of your heart rests on your ability to intellectually ascend or just believe enough. Nope. It's the supernatural activity of God. And here's the fun thing. You can't take it away. Because what God does, the fruit that he brings remains. How many of you have had that nightmare of, man, God healed me, but then I, but I couldn't maintain it. It's not about you maintaining anything. It's the power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Put some salt in the bowl, he said. Then he went out, continues, to the spring and threw, his, <laughs> threw the salt into it. Ka-ka! Yeah. Saying, it is, this is what the Lord says. Hear this this morning. I have healed this water. I've healed what's in it you know I may not even mention your thing but the moment I asked you what poisoned your heart you knew exactly what it was I've healed this water and the word in the Hebrew that we translate as healed there is the word Rapha let me give you another use of it in the book of Psalms 147.3 here's what it says about the Lord he heals Rapha the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds this is a characteristic of who the Lord is. Just go internal for a moment. Will you let him heal you today? So Kings continues, and here's what he says. After he says, I've healed this water, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Never again. <laughs> You have been through enough. 
I, I just get this, like as, as we're prepping, listen, you have been like you've been carrying this and carrying this and carrying. Today's the day that it stops. Today is the day where you experience the healing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been through enough. You've carried this long enough. Never again. And so the story says, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. And it's here. Um, I really want to hammer this home, okay? Because because I'm not I'm not. I'm not a guy with superpowers. I can't just be like, so you're healed because I think you should be. No. No, I'm, 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 I'm a dude just like any other guy here. Um, but I know who I know. This week as I was, as I was, as I was prepping this talk, I sat down with it. Cause I, 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 you know, in making this series, I had broken up the stories. And like, okay, here's what we'll do here. We're and I'm just looking at these four verses and I'm like, well, that's not easy to apply, you know? So some water got good. Hooray. And I just went to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what, what do you want to say here? And I just, I mean, just get a sense of the Holy Spirit just saying so clearly, I want to restore the springs of my people. And so as I'm saying to you that healing comes this morning, it's not because I decided that it should. It's because I believe I'm speaking for somebody who loves you, who wants to heal you. And it's his, his word is the only one that matters. God wants to restore the springs of his people. Will you let him today? Because here's what's happened for so many of you. As a result of just like trying to pacify this wound, you've been trying to heal yourself and it's not working, is it? There's a verse that I love. We reference all the time because it's so good. Jeremiah, where God looks at, he speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. And he's talking about the, the hearts of his people. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. I Meaning God goes, listen, I want to give you life. I want to give you living, pure water, a spring of water. But instead, what you've done is you've left me and tried to create your own means of water. But it's broken. The water's dirty. And as a result, it doesn't even hold water. You just keep seeping out. And for how many of you that's the case? Okay, you just keep pouring your life and your energy into things. And it just seeps like water's going back into the ground. It never sticks around. And you're empty. And God goes, I want to be the spring. I want to be the spring. And you go, okay, well, what do I have to do? What do you have to do? You ask, silly. It's interesting. Oh, hold on. For the, for the one who goes, well, I've tried that, thanks. Yeah, you did. But today's the day where God does something with the ask. Hey, let me just, here's a fun fact for you. With that story, okay, with that story, it's not as though the people of that town had never wanted the water to be good. Okay? And what Elisha does is he does something silly. He just throws salt in it. And over and over again in Elisha's life, what you find is that he does really silly things. But it's not the action that creates anything. It's the obedience to the word of the Lord. So today, as we pray for healing, we're not praying for it because we just feel like we should. We're praying in obedience to the Spirit of God. Why do you pray right now? Because God has willed that you should. And I want to do that together right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's go to the Lord for the healing of our hearts that the water would be purified and cleansed. Heavenly Father, through only the name of Jesus, we approach you.
We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. We thank you because the things that we have tried to bottle up, mask, and pretend aren't there, you knew about. And you look at us with compassion and want to heal the wounds of our heart. I thank you because there is not a person under the sound of my voice who is hearing this by accident, but Lord, you've brought them here. And Lord, I thank you for your word that you wish to restore the springs of your people. And so Lord, we ask you to do it just like you did with the fountain in Jericho. We ask you, please restore the waters of our hearts so that the land of our lives may bear fruit that glorifies you. We give these things over to you now in Jesus' name. We hand you our hearts and we just ask you, please heal them because only you can. We love you and we praise you. I do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.